What is going on, everybody? This is the Everything Cavaliers podcast brought to you by the Pulse Podcast Network, a network where we have a bunch of different podcasts from NBA, NFL, pop culture, even Dungeons and Dragons is on there. Literally, almost any topic you can think of, it's on there. Check it out. And today's podcast is sponsored by the official ticket app of the Pulse Podcast Network, TickSplits. Give this a listen. Have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TixFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TixFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket, every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TixFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location. Pick the show you want, and bam, it's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts, and more with TickFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TickFlix. That's TickFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Yo, what is going on, all you beautiful people listening out there. Thank you for taking time out of your day or evening to allow my angelic voice to grace your ear space today. We have a loaded episode today. I'll discuss the last three games that the Cavs have played against the Suns, Grizzlies, and Blazers. And following that, there's a little draft prospect situation that I want to discuss. So grab a snack and a beverage, sit back, relax, and enjoy. So to start off, a couple notes I wrote down before the Suns game. It was. I thought it was the most winnable game that the Cavs could potentially have all year. The Suns are at the bottom of the league in damn near every every single category. Um, they're starting or the Cavs starting lineup was interesting to me because you had Love at the four and Zizic at the five. There isn't much switchability at all on defense, and Phoenix went pretty small. I mean. They had Kelly Oubre and Josh Jackson at their 3-4 and four spot. So, I don't know. I just thought their athleticism could potentially cause problems for the Cavs' bigs at uh, at some point. And we all know DeAndre Ayton is a monster already. He's built like a 30-year-old man at 19. It's ridiculous. Um, I am excited, however, uh, for Jetty to get to play his natural position again. I think we're all excited for that. He just wasn't – he just isn't physically – built to play the four and guard fours all the time. I think it wore him down and it put a little bit more pressure on him. And as we've seen, uh, he's become more comfortable playing that three spot. I thought this was a potential night for Marquise Chris to kind of go off because, you know, he's playing against the team that drafted him, well, traded for his draft rights, and essentially gave up on him. I mean, they traded him to Houston for kind of nothing. I mean, I just thought he'd potentially give Chris in extra motivation or initiative to play well um, during this game. Uh, as I mentioned before, Phoenix did have a small smaller lineup, so the Cavs should be able to uh, kind of body them on the boards and down low a little bit. Uh, Love should have the advantage over Josh Jackson or Kelly Oubre, you know, if they were to get a switch or, you know, run them off some screens and then you get a switch. So I think that's what the Cavs are looking to do, and our starting guards are pretty small. I think Brandon Knight's like 6'2", Colin Sexton 6'2", as well. So I thought Devin Booker could have his absolute way with our guards on the offensive end. But as we saw, I mean, he was cold until pretty much the fourth quarter. And Tyler Johnson looks like Mo Schrute from The Office. Uh, I think of that every single time I see him. I, I just chuckle. Because he, look, he looks exactly like him. But diving into the first quarter, um, Jackson and Oubre were in the passing lanes early. And it could have posed a potential problem for the rest of the game because they are so athletic. Both of them have really good defensive instincts. So if the Cavs weren't quick on their passes and sending sharp passes, they could have gotten stolen a lot more. The Cavs started out cold. What else is new? It feels like they start out, start out sloppy every game. Aiton, DeAndre Aiton kind of gave us the business inside early. Um, 
little side note on Aiden. I know he's only getting like 12 shots a game, which is crazy because I mean he's the number one pick in the draft and in the opportunities he has gotten, he's been really good. But Phoenix, just give him the ball. Like you're not, you're the worst team in the league. Just have either Booker or Aiton shoot at this point because Josh Jackson hasn't really developed all that well, and I don't, I, I don't know how good Kelly Oubre can be. I don't really see him being anything more than like a starting caliber player. Um, major speed disadvantage with the Cavs two bigs, as I kind of mentioned in the little pregame segment. Um, yeah, they're just slow-footed bigs who don't run in transition all that well. And uh, Jetty started pretty solid from the corners. I think he hit one from the left corner, then one from the right corner. Jetty's three-point shooting has been really good as of late, and I know I, I note that a lot throughout uh, these game notes. So if I seem repetitive, it's because it's really noticeable to me. And uh, Devin Booker got cut at some point. It's not relevant to the game, but I just thought of the Rocky Four scene when Rocky hits Ivan Drago. And uh, his coach yells, he's cut, he's cut. I don't know. I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, Sexton's becoming more patient, and that's another thing I tend to write down kind of often because as he's maturing and the game seems to be slowing down for him, he doesn't force the issue nearly as much, and that's obviously a really good thing. Jordan Clarkson has absolutely terrible tunnel vision, some of the worst I've ever seen. It's Once he starts driving to the basket, he just looks at the basket and nothing else. There could be three guys open and he wouldn't know because he doesn't look at anything other than the basket or doesn't have a mindset other than to score the ball. Jamal Crawford was really tough to watch. It's kind of sad. He missed horribly on a three and missed an open layup. I, If he's still in the league or past this season, he needs to be on a playoff team. He doesn't need to be wasting the last couple of years of his career on like the Suns. He needs to go ring chase. I know a lot of people don't like that, but if you're a veteran who hasn't really got that taste of a deep playoff run or even a finals victory, just join a really good team and you have to be able to accept the role off the bench, which I know a lot of, you know, players sometimes aren't willing to do, especially if they were kind of that guy earlier in their career. We saw that with Dwayne Wade and his kind of sin with the Cavs. Um, Cavs let up a really bad three to end, uh, end that first quarter and, you know, that's something that we've kind of seen all year is once the quarter starts to uh, drain down and get closer to, to those zeros, the Cavs' me- defensive mentality seems to kind of let up. And especially in the last possessions, it feels like every three or four games, the Cavs let up a buzzer beater just for some stupid reason because they didn't hustle back down. Um, okay, now getting on to the second quarter. They already had more fast break points than they did in the Nets triple overtime game, which was insane. I think they had nine fast break points to this point, where I think they only had six in a game with four quarters and three overtimes, which is absolutely insane. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, this team just sometimes does things that are ridiculous and not not in a good way. Um, I'd like to see Marquise Chris battle on the boards more. I know he's not really a traditional big. He likes to play on the perimeter a lot, and he's kind of a he. He has some pretty good ups, but I'd like to see him become more aggressive and get his nose dirty a little bit more. Um, Ante Zizic's footwork is pretty impressive for being such a dopey looking guy. Like he just has that Nikola Jokic vibe, where he's just a big guy who's not muscular. He's kind of doughy and just he doesn't move well, so it looks really funny. Um, the Suns moved the ball pretty well. Their ball movement was nice early on. And for a team that somehow struggling I, with all their talent, I really don't know how they're struggling as bad as they are. They need to move the ball. I, I know Devin Booker can really put the ball in the basket, but, you know, ball movement is the best way to get open shots. So they did a pretty good job of that early on. Jetty had a sweet one-handed pass that he fired into Kevin Love. I think Jetty was dribbling up the court off a of pick and roll and just fired it with his left hand, which is pretty impressive because not many people can throw accurate and hard passes with their offhand. So that was pretty cool to see. Kevin Love makes another bad outlet pass. You know, I think maybe before the game, he's got to like warm up that arm, have Jetty and Colin Sexton out wide, maybe run a couple streaks or like a sneaky like button hook and go or something like that. I don't know. There's. Just too many bad turnovers by Colin Sexton. He 
he tried to dribble through four guys, and anyone with you know two eyeballs can see that that's a terrible idea. Um, he does. He just seems to do that too much. Not as much as he did in the beginning of the year. He's getting better at it, but sometimes he just forces the issue too much. I think part of that is just his mentality to always play at a million miles an hour, and that I think it's a good thing most of the time. But it does get him t- into trouble on the offensive end. Jetty just he needs to be involved in more pick and rolls. He's one of the best playmakers on this team, if not the best one that this team has. The ball just needs to be in his hands more, and we're starting to see that. I don't know why he wasn't involved more so early on. I don't know if that's because you know his shot wasn't falling as well or whatever, but I'm glad to see him finally stepping up now with the return of Kevin Love and stuff like that. Uh, it's really, really cool to see. Uh, Kevin Love and Larry Nance on the floor at the same time I think work pretty nicely because Larry's kind of that more athletic guy who, who can alter shots. They're both good rebounders, and they're both really good passers for being big men. So it can create for the other three guys or, you know, even four, whoever has the ball. Um, Kevin can post up with his back to the basket and create. And Larry Nance is really good uh, when you dump it to him at the free throw line, especially when a team goes to his zone and he can uh, pick out the open guy, fit into tight windows. So it's a pretty good offensive big man pairing for the Cavs. Jumping into the second half, shocker, the Cavs start out bad. <laughs> they There's just not a lot of movement early on. They just seem to putz around up the floor, wait till seven seconds, and then try and do something, which just doesn't, especially doesn't work for this team because there really isn't an ISO guy they have like that. Jordan Clarkson is pretty good, and he's this team's best at that by far, but it's still not a good thing if Jordan Clarkson is your best ISO scorer. Colin Sexton's fast, man. He, you blink and he's down the floor. It's he does that once or twice a game where he's down the floor and like two dribbles. It seems like, and he definitely uses it to his advantage on the offensive end. And he needs. I'd like to see him not rely on it as much, but at this point, his jump shot isn't great. So I mean, using that God-given ability to do it. I mean. Use it to the best of your ability, man. It's gotten you this far, and I uh, I really like when he attacks the hole. I think he's really aggressive when he does that, and he's getting better at not forcing uh, up bad or contested layups. He's getting better at picking out guys in the corners and whatnot. So I, I hope that we'll see more of that in the future, but I, I'm not super positive it will happen. Kevin Love was short on a lot of his jumpers. I don't know if that's you know being rusty or whatever, but... He needs to get his legs under him a bit more, shooting the ball a little bit flat. Even though he does have a flat jumper in general, it seemed even a little more flat um, during this Phoenix game. Jetty's starting to shoot without hesitation, especially when a guy is closing out on him. He's not thinking about it. He's just ripping the ball, and it's been working for him. He's shooting like 52% from three or something crazy like that um, over the last, like I don't know, six, seven, eight games. It's a pretty decent sample size. I have a stat later on that um, shows his percentage. And, you know, it's really good to see because he did struggle early on with his uh, his three-point shooting. Brandon Knight, he had a flop that was worthy of an Oscar, man. I He probably would have got the call that he was looking for if he didn't exas- uh, exaggerate so much. But, you know, NBA players, they can act too. I, I know you kind of have to, but... Some flops that we see in today's game are just ridiculous. <clears throat> I don't think this team is as bad as their record says just because the whole Kevin Love dynamic. And I think a lot of people will agree with me that, you know, they've won like, what, three out of their last four or something like that. So they've definitely, they've definitely improved with uh, Kevin Love coming back. And honestly, if he was here the whole season, uh, he'd, we'd definitely be fighting for a playoff spot right now. But I think... That was the best that could happen because we're in a position now to add a top-tier talent through the draft. So I really think that injury where he missed, you know, like 50, 52 games is really good for this team's future. And it worked out at kind of Kevin Kevin Love's expense. But, you know, it'll be be a lot brighter next year. Um, Jetty had some hesitation uh, pull-up jumpers that are kind of – 
in the mid range. And what I notice is that when he does them, he pulls up from his right hand, which is really weird. You normally hesitate with your off hand and then pull up. Just an interesting little note. I haven't seen it much, but you know, just something I found a little bit noteworthy. Um, going to the fourth quarter now. The Cavs were really lucky Devin Booker was off because he he was ice cold, man. He couldn't buy a bucket up until the fourth quarter. And if he was on, the Cavs would have lost this game because, he. I mean, that he's the main source of their offense. So if he's not going, their offense really isn't going. And again, beginning of a quarter, guess what happened? The offense went stagnant. Not enough movement once again. It's, it's so – Typical of this team, and you can see it coming from a mile away. I don't know why they start off quarters poorly. Booker starts to heat up. Surprise, surprise. He's bound to get it going at some point. The Suns defensively are just bad. I don't know if it's because they're not interested or they're just not good. I don't know how you can be bad at defense. All you have to do is try, and you can be an above-average defender. I don't understand, especially with all the youth and athleticism and length they have in their lineups. Like, I... I just don't get it. <laughs> but, I mean, if someone understood, they wouldn't be the worst team in the league with, like, 11 wins. Uh, Jetty shoots well again from deep. Sexton gets minutes uh, down the stretch to end the fourth quarter, which we're seeing more of. I read an article, I think it was through The Athletic, Joe Varden wrote it, I believe, where early on they sometimes would sit Sexton in the fourth quarter so he can – kind of watch and learn, and then some other nights he would play alongside George Hill or now Matthew Delvadova to get him that in-game experience. It's just two different learning styles to help him develop just so you're not baptizing him by fire, I guess, every single time. It allows him to step back and really see the a, a close game from a distance instead of being in it and acting, I guess, without thinking. So um, it's cool that they – I think they did that I, because Sexton is a really raw prospect, as we all know. I think that really benefited him as he's playing a lot better now. Um, Kevin Love wasn't playing down the stretch, and I don't know if that's because, you know, his injury or whatnot, but I found that a little interesting and kind of concerning that he wasn't playing um, to, to close the game out. And I, I wrote again about how I was trying to figure out how the Suns were so bad with so many talented young players there's really bad on defense and really don't have an offensive plan um yeah I, I don't know how they're so bad you'd think on paper they look like a good young team that could put up points and run in transition but they really don't and that's I don't know if that's a coaching issue or what but they they need to change something I know they just changed their coach but something obviously isn't right there uh and to close out the game, it was a high assist game from the Cavs, which is pretty crazy. I mean, the last since Kevin Love's return, they've been moving the ball really well, and that's good to see because that's when this offense is at its best when the ball is hopping around. So they they get that win, you know. I know you're not supposed to win because you want a high draft pick, but like I say, it's nice to see your team win. It's I feel like it's good for team morale and keeping guys content. Now we'll hop to the Grizzlies game. If you guys, I'll give you guys a second to guess what my first note was. Sloppy and a poor start. Bet you couldn't guess. Um, Sexton's handles are really loose for a point guard. I don't. It's something he really has to work on going forward because it's a, a cause of concern. If a good defensive point guard picks him up ninety four feet constantly, he's going to get the ball ripped, and it's not a good recipe for success having a point guard that doesn't have good handles. Um, Kevin loves ability to create out of the post, man. I don't know. I don't have to say much more about it. Just, he's great when it comes to that aspect. It just helps everyone out so much. Jonas Valanciunas, he's, he has a very punchable face to me, and I, I can't put my finger on it, but every time I see that guy, I just want to punch him in the mouth. I don't know why. I, I don't know why it's just him, but I – I just want to give him a quick one to the nose. I don't know if that help his cause. It'd make me want to punch him less, but, you know, I don't know. It's just <laughs> something I think of whenever I see Valanciunas. That I didn't like him from the Raptor days. He's He has that same body type, how I said Zizic and Jokic too, but he's kind of a douche. Like, just the way he carries himself, I don't know. I guess I just don't like it. 
is a Joakim Noah sighting. I forgot the dude was in the league, honestly. And I'm surprised, and I mean, good for him for getting minutes on Memphis, even though they're not really competing for anything. I think he's showing that he can still play in this league, be a good guy off the bench. And the Cavs kind of got the full force of that late, or into the third and fourth quarter. Uh, Kevin Love was having his way with the Memphis bigs, his craftiness, doing him wonders with his pump fakes and escape dribbles and stuff. He really, you know, had the Memphis bigs in his back pocket and, that's something that we see a lot from Kevin Love when he goes up against inexperienced bigs. He's his veteran savviness, I guess you can say, really does him favors. Uh, do you know? We all know that he doesn't have the most outstanding athleticism in the world, so it definitely plays into his hands a little bit. I was inclined to believe that Sexton might struggle tonight because of Conley and Bradley's defensive prowess. We all know that both of them are really good defenders, and they have been for years now. So that, on top of how I mentioned Sexton's handles aren't great, that it you know could potentially cause a problem for him off the dribble. Uh, Sexton pulled out a like a step in hesitation three, which you know I'm I'm cool with. I want to see him take the shot, even if he doesn't make it. It's just adding something to the arsenal to make him a better player, and that's something that um that I'm really excited to see. And Chandler Parsons checks in the game, which is interesting. I haven't heard about him since he signed the lucrative deal years ago with Memphis. I think it's like $23 million a year for a guy that hasn't played and contributed in pretty much his entire contract. I don't know if it's like if it was a rift with like the coaching staff or whatever, or he's just bad. Like That could be it. He wasn't good in this game either, but good for him for getting all that money. Um this was a lot better of a first quarter for the Cavs than the first time they played Memphis. I don't know if you guys remember, but this was who back in December or so, or even before that, where they only scored nine points, nine points in the entire first quarter, and they scored thirty-seven in this one, which is quite a bit of a, of an improvement, which is good to see. Now transitioning to the second quarter, they were dom- the Cavs were dominating on the glass. They seemed to swallow every rebound up. And that script did flip flip a little bit going forward. Um, Delhi pulled out the nice like Trey Young move where he's driving down the lane, puts the ball between his legs and dishes it off. It it was a really nice move. It was silky smooth from our favorite Aussie, and uh, just kind of piggybacking off that. His vision is insane. I know I've said it before. It's a lot better, or it's gotten a lot better since um uh, since he's been in Cleveland the first time around. I don't know where this came from, but good for Delhi for developing. I think it's more of he gets a little more freedom in the offense now because he's not behind, you know, Kyrie Irving and LeBron James isn't dominating the ball anymore. So he has a little bit more creative freedom in the offense. I think that's really allowing him to show what he could do. And I think that's really helping him, uh, his stock going forward. Nick Stauskas has been, has been trash. Shocker. I say it again a couple more times. He's just had... I feel so repetitive saying it, but he just hasn't been good. I don't know what it is, but he really hasn't been good. He's not helping his case for being on this team long-term, and I, I doubt the Cavs will resign him. I can't see him doing it. Grizzlies stormed back with a little run of their own. Zizic was playing well up to this point. I said he reminds me of Valanchunas a little bit, minus the punchable face. Um, their games are just similar, back to the basket, big body guys who have really soft touch. Um, on their hook shots. Every shot in Valanchunas takes seems to hit the rim about 65 times and drops in it. I don't understand it. Uh, I wrote down that I hope Jetty keeps his hot streak from deep going, and as we all know, through the last couple games, he has kept that going. And something I'd love to see Colin Sexton develop is the drop cross into his game. I see guys like uh, Russell Westbrook and Donovan Mitchell and Victor Oladipo do it so well. Um... Because with Sexton's speed, I think it could be really lethal, and that would lead into you know pull up threes. And it's where, for those of you who don't know the move, it's basically what Victor Oladipo did to us all last year. You get a switch, you back up to like the half court line, then you sprint, drop the ball in front of you, and cross over. It's really effective, especially with guys that are really fast, as Colin Sexton is. It'd be a cool little thing to see him develop. I don't know since his handles are aren't good. I hope he develops it, but I'm not holding my breath about it. 
Jumping into the third quarter, uh, the Memphis Bigs were struggling again to communicate, giving Love open threes off of, you know, pin downs and screens and stuff like that. I think he got two or three open threes in a row and basically off the same actions. I don't know if it's be- if it is due to communication or they're just good screens. Brandon Knight has a scary slip. It seems like every game he gets up or after the whistle, he's flexing his like knee or his ankle or whatever. The dude is just really fragile. And you know, it sucks to say because he was averaging like 19 points a game at one point, but a terrible injury pretty much derailed his career. Colin Sexton seems to be shooting the three off the dribble a little bit more confidently, which is a good sign. That's another thing he needs to add. Even if it isn't going in, I just want to see him attempt it. I won't get mad at him for shooting it because he's obviously just trying to get better. Memphis switches to his own, which seems like every team does against the Cavs at this point. I'm not surprised when I see it anymore. I like what Marquise Chris has done so far in his stint, but at times he just shows a lack of basketball IQ, which is sloppiness, I guess. And I don't know how he can improve that really. Other than just making smarter decisions, I know that's a lot easier said than done, but just a little nugget I thought of. Joakim Noah really injected a lot of energy into this team. He's keeping them alive. He absolutely destroyed the Cavs by himself in the third quarter on the boards. Larry Nance got torn apart by Joakim Noah, which is kind of kind of weird to say because Noah hasn't been good for like since like 2012. Um uh, Cavs go ice cold to end the quarter and terrible go ice cold again to start the fourth. Surprise, surprise. I know, right? And Kevin Lowe was running off screens like Kyle Korver uh, did when he was with us, which is kind of funny because it's at a lot slower of a pace because Kevin Lowe is not very fast. Uh, Love was playing well tonight. He has played well in pretty much all the games he's been back. Well, the first game, not so much, where he played like seven minutes. But every game since then, he's been pretty darn good. Uh, Zizic picked up two illegal screen fouls in a row. Uh, it's just a little frustrating thing because it's so simple and so correctable that letting it happen two times in a row is crazy. Just got to keep your feet set and not lean into the guy. It's pretty simple. Even though there are illegal screens on every single play in the NBA, I think we all know that. And it's kind of crazy that they called two back-to-back. Um, I wrote down again that Joakim Noah was taking Larry Nance's lunch money. Mike Conley had killed the Cavs in the mid-range to this point. Um, Mike Conley's just a really solid player that I don't think gets the credit he deserves. I'd like to see him actually compete uh, for, you know, or at least have another deep playoff run in his career. I think he's very capable of being a solid contributor on a playoff team, and I'd like to see him hopefully get traded in the offseason, which I think Memphis will because they're trying to rebuild and, there's really no point to having Conley on this team going forward, taking up like $30 million in cap space for the next three years or so. Jonas Valanciunas had three, and seeing him celebrate, he was like putting up three in the air and like waving it around just made me so mad. Like just seeing him makes me want to punch him in the face. This just blew the top off. I I was so mad at it, and I don't know why. Um, Jetty, I think it was – He's hit 25 out of his last 48 threes. I think that's like 48% or something like that. Or no, that's 52-ish, like I said earlier. And, I mean, he's been even better since then, which is awesome to see. I don't expect him to shoot 50% from three long term, but even if he can get around like 38%, that'd be really cool. Um, Sexton hit a clutch three from the corner, which was really cool. Uh, I think he was 6 of 20 at that point. He just without hesitation, fired it up, and the confidence of the kid is pretty admirable. He never backs down from a challenge, and I think that I, that really embodies the city, I think, and I think uh, he he fits well just in this city's culture, and he's definitely a building block going forward. It was a tough, grinded-out win from the, from the Cavs, which they really haven't had many of them this year, and Kevin Love was spectacular. I mean, he was the driving force, and that's what he has to be for this team to be competitive. And we we're seeing it. I mean, again, I don't agree with the whole four-year contract extension, but if he keeps playing like this, I really, I really don't mind it. If especially next, uh, like going forward into next year, if this team 
is competitive and makes a playoff spot, that'll be huge because we haven't seen them make the playoffs without LeBron in the Dan Gilbert era. So that'd be really cool to see. Um, before we go forward, I'm going to take a quick break, uh, get some message messages from our sponsors. Then we will jump into the Blazers game after that. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is 8-Bit Ray from the Gorilla Brain Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Did you know that you could be using this spot to advertise your company or business? Well, I've done the research, and PodcastInsights.com report that podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and mostly college-educated, but most importantly, are five times more likely to interact with the ad they hear on their favorite podcast than an ad from any other medium. If you would like to advertise your company or brand with our network, it's simple. All you have to do is send an email to marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com. I'll say it one more time marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com and we hope to hear from you soon all right so we are back to hop into the blazers game first note i wrote down rough offensive start believe it or not i think it was the blazers started out like on an 11-0 run so the game i felt was kind of over early on the portland's guards are, were going to cook us i mean cj mccollum uh, being from Cleveland himself, I think he always gets up for this game because, you know, he's from this area. Uh, Sexton has to be more subtle with his, you know, push-off moves. I know it's kind of frowned upon, you know, by fans and whatnot that NBA players push off so much, but everyone does it. The refs rarely call it. You just have to know how to do it, and that's something I think he'll learn as he matures and just gets more reps in this league. He, I haven't really noticed him get called for it much, but um, he definitely has to get more consistent at doing it when he does do it. No movement on the offensive ends. Shocker, I know. It's a lot of standing around and taking terrible jump shots. Uh, Alfred Camino and Mo Harkless were giving Kevin Love problems early on. Their strength and quick hands were giving him problems with his back to the basket. I know... Um, yeah, he, he really struggled early. They were constantly stripping the ball from him and just forcing him into bad shots or turnovers. There was a lid on the basket early. I mean, the Cavs scored like four points in seven minutes or something like that, which is bad. Uh, they were getting bullied in the paint early on, which is kind of strange because the Portland kind of goes small. I mean, they have a pretty defensive front court to make up for the defensive liabilities of their guards. So they have Aminu and Harkless starting, and then Nurkic is a big body down low. So they definitely make up for the defensive liabilities of their guards in their front court, which I think is pretty smart. They just have their guards carry the entire load offensively, and the other guys just get open threes and scrappy second-chance points. That's really how they uh, they make their money. Um, Clarkson was doing his best to spark the offense, he definitely came in, I think scored seven or nine in a row, something like that, to uh, try and claw the Cavs back into this game. The bench unit really embodied that as well, and they were much better than, than the starters. They made this game kind of kind of close, I guess, or made it closer than it really was. Some of Jordan Clarkson's shots just make me blink and rub my eyes because they're so bad. Like a pull-up jumper on the baseline while he's double-teamed it. I've seen it way too many times, and we're going to see it a lot more. It can be just so frustrating, but when you don't really have anyone, especially off the bench, to create their own shot, it's it's you kind of have to live with it because it's kind of what else are you going to get, you know? Uh, going into the second quarter, they I don't think they got to the free throw line until like the third quarter, which is crazy. They just need to attack, be more aggressive and attack the basket more. Nick Stauskas made a shot. It's like... I was so surprised because I expect him to miss every shot he takes at this point, which is kind of sad because I try and stay kind of optimistic or objective, I should say. And he's a good three-point shooter, but it seems like he was. this was the first shot he made in the longest time. The attention to detail in guarding the three-point line just absolutely fell by the wayside. It seems like Portland hit every single three in that second quarter. And I do have a stat coming up where... Uh, how they ended out the quarter, and they shot an insane percentage. 
the Cavs' body language, they they looked defeated already, which was not good. Even though they didn't roll over, they kind of stormed back later on. They Their body language was horrible. They needed to get into the locker room. Jetty had 10 points in the quarter up to this point. He was kind of feeling it from deep, as he has been, and tried to you know get the Cavs back in this game. Him and Jordan Clarkson were the driving force of that. And Portland shot 68.5% from the field and 82% from three in the entire second quarter. 82%. That's ridiculous. I've never seen a team, I think, shoot that high in a quarter before. Even even the Warriors, I don't know if I've seen that. Um, and I wrote down, this is the Cavs team we, we, become, we became accustomed to seeing because they just get the doors blown off them and can't create anything offensively, and it's really hard to watch. Kevin Love has been a non-factor up to this point, and the only semi-noticeable people in the half were Jordan Clarkson and Jetty. Nothing, no one else really did anything um, positive, which is kind of sad to say. But anyway, anyway, we'll hop on to the third quarter. Their first free throws, I think, came at the beginning of the quarter, which which is horrible. I mean, how do you not get to the free throw line in the entire first half? I, I don't understand. There are times when Jetty tends to fade away on his jumpers and his percentage just plummets when he does that. He has kind of a flat shot as it is. So when you fade away, you lose kind of your, your legs under you and it, you know, makes the shot even more flat. Uh, he has Jetty's little scoop layup that he does where he does it same foot, same hand. It's really nice. Um, it's really clean and it's been effective for him. CJ was CJ McCollum was really enjoying his return return home. I think he had twenty points or so by this point, and he was just killing the Cavs. They had no answer for him. Uh, they were able to cut it to ten in only five minutes. I think they erased a twenty three point deficit to only ten, and eventually cut it all the way to four. Um, Portland in the third quarter was horrible. They couldn't buy a bucket. I think they hit maybe one outside jumper the entire time it, you know the law of averages had to come in at some point and they hit him hard they shot like 20 percent uh in the low 20s Rodney Hood was horrible in his return he was I wanted him to shoot because I think he missed like eight or nine shots or he was like oh of nine something like that he missed two free throws at one point and that was very unlike Rodney Hood he shoots in the 80th around 80 percent I think like 82 and at one point during the season, he hit 30 in a row. So I don't know if it's the pressure or trying to impress our fans when he's coming back, but I don't know if it didn't work out for him. Jordan Clarkson tried to dunk on somebody, which is a weird sight. I don't think we've seen that before. He got a foul but didn't get the dunk to fall, which, you know, when you're going to the basket, especially at that high of a level, you're supposed to try and dunk it because it creates more contact and whatever. It helps you draw a foul. You know, it was kind of cool to see because Clarkson doesn't do that much. And like like I said, they were able to cut it all the way down to four. And going into the final frame of things, Jordan Clarkson, he, he's frustrating, but he can score, man. I I don't know how he creates for himself. It, it doesn't seem like he ever has a plan going into it, but a lot of the time it ends up working. I don't know how. Um they fought all the way back to erase the deficit, which was impressive because they were down 23 and going into halftime down that at home. And, you know, Portland shooting 82% from the three-point range, that's that's tough. And I really give the Cavs credit for fighting back for that. <laughs> Larry Nance absolutely whipped the ball off uh, Seth Curry's face. It was funny. Probably it's balding right across his forehead. Uh, that was just a really funny moment because – you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Curry family. Just I think I think you all know why. But uh, it was it was just really funny to see. And Portland runs this lineup where they have uh, Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Seth Curry, which is <clears throat> really interesting because they don't have a guy over six three in that lineup. Defensively, that's horrible. But offensively, it definitely spaces the floor a lot, gives them a lot of firepower. Um. Love what I'm seeing from Jetty. He's been, like I said, I know I've said this a lot, and I'll continue to say it. He's been really good. I think since the All-Star break, he's been averaging like 18, almost 19 points a game, which is really good, and like four rebounds, four assists, something like that. 
So his he's been playing really well since Kevin Love's return, and I just hope we see that for the rest of the season so we get more of a defined sample size from him. Cavs go cold at the wrong time, and Portland heats up from downtown, and you know that was kind of all she wrote. Uh, their their backcourt was absolutely non-existent tonight, and I think I think Brandon Knight and Sexton scored like yeah, oof. it wasn't good. I think they scored like nine points the whole night. I don't know if Brandon Knight even scored, but they were absolutely a non-factor, and it was an admirable admirable comeback effort from the Cavs, but. You know, Portland's a good team. I think they're fourth in the West right now. So they had the wherewithal to kind of withstand that storm back from the Cavs, turn it on late and, you know, close the deal and go back home with the win. So now what would it be an everything Cavs podcast without a little bit of draft talk? So an article arose about the Cavs potentially drafting Murray State point guard John Morant. Um, I hope I say this guy's name right. Paolo Sonko, he's a writer for Cavs Nation, wrote about the p- potential pairing of Sexton and John Morant. To sum up the article, a lot of people within the Cavs organization don't believe uh, Colin Sexton is a point guard going forward, even though they drafted him to be a point guard. And this is where the uber-talented John Morant comes into play. A little background on Morant for those of you who aren't familiar with him. He's six foot three and 175 pounds soaking wet. He's has a very slight frame. He's averaging 24.4 points a game, 10.3 assists. He's a leading assist man in the country right now, and 5.3 rebounds per game with shooting splits of 51% from the field, 33.8% from three, and 80.9% from the free throw line. So, I mean, the three point percentage isn't great, but it's good enough to translate. He's shown signs of being able to knock down a deep three, which is um, it's really good to see. And he's a good free throw shooter, so it's not like that's something I don't think you'll have to worry about that translating. He's a driving force of Murray State's team. I mean, they go as he goes, which is pretty obvious. Which And it's interesting that he's leading the country in assists because it's not like Murray State. It's some powerhouse school, you know. Um, most people listening probably didn't even know Murray State existed or that they even had a basketball team, really, because I haven't heard of them besides for Jaw this year, and he's really put them on the map, or at least made them a fun watch because he's so exciting. Just because he goes or goes to a less notable school doesn't mean he can't play because, man, he, he really can. He can start for almost any college program right now. And you may be wondering, um, if he's so good, then why why is he playing at Murray State? I know he got offers from, like, Duquesne and really small D1 schools, but he um, he, he was a really late bloomer and kind of like our own Colin Sexton. Um, he was just overlooked in high school, and he ended up at Murray State because he felt that's what was the best fit for him. Um, he He's the closest thing we've seen to Russell Westbrook coming out of college. I mean, he does – Everything on the floor and his absolute freakish athleticism is the main attribute of his game. He absolutely jumps off your screen for not being a huge guy, and it's he's must-watch TV at this point. I try and watch every single Murray State game I can. Uh, he finishes at the rim extremely well, and I really, really like what he brings to the table. There are um, a couple questions surrounding his game, though. His size and his ability to knock down the three. I imagine as he, you know, matures and grows older, he'll put muscle on and fill out, but that can be a concern going forward, uh, especially starting out because we all know how difficult it is for rookie guards to transition normally into the point guard spot. Uh, He can be a little bit reckless trying to force the issue a little bit. His turnover rate is a little – or his turnovers per game is – kind of high for a point guard, but his usage rate is really high. I think it's like 32.8% or something like that. So he he has the ball in his hands at all times, and you're bound, I mean, you're bound to turn the ball over when you have to create everything for your team. In regards to his three-point shot, 33.8% is not bad at all, especially for someone who dominates the ball and does everything on the floor. It's respectable. I mean, it's better than R.J. Barrett's shooting percentage right now uh, from three, so it's it's good enough especially starting out, how there are a lot of guys in, um, that get drafted that don't, don't really know how to shoot. 
Um, his ability to get better in this facet and become a more consistent threat from deep will truly make the sky the limit for this kid. His combination of skills, athleticism, are ones we see very, very rarely. The, the elite explosion or explosiveness along with the great passing vision is something that very few players have. One thing that does worry me is potential durability going forward. From what I have seen him play, when he lands from dunks, he tends to land on one leg and kind of a straight leg. And immediately when I saw this, I had flashbacks to Derrick Rose before his first big knee injury because that's the exact same way he would land um, from his dunks. And it, I, immediately, I immediately flashed back to that, and I hope that doesn't prove to be um, a problem for him going forward. But it is definitely a cause of concern for me because I did end up noticing it. If it weren't for Zion, this kid would be, uh, you know, he's an absolute highlight reel. He gets overshadowed a little bit by Zion because he we've never seen someone like Zion before, really. And John Morant should be shown on Sports on every day. Pretty much every game that he plays, he is because he does so much and he's so exciting. And I mean, again, he's still getting overshadowed by the Duke Big Three, but honestly, he could easily end up being the best part in this draft. He just has so many skills. Come. And combined with that athleticism, it's it's really amazing to watch. I think if Morant is drafted by the Cavs, he could potentially, potentially, and don't kill me for this, but be the second most exciting player in this franchise's history to watch. I'm just talking about watch. I think LeBron is number one and will always be number one. But Morant, I think, can potentially pass Kyrie Irving. Maybe. I don't know. I think that potential is there just because he's so explosive. He plays above the rim, and he has a really good handle. Not quite Kyrie. No one has Kyrie's handles, but I think he, Morant, could potentially be a more exciting watch than Kyrie. Um, now, my thoughts kind of on the pairing between him and Colin Sexton. It's definitely intriguing. I wasn't very fond of it at first, and I didn't think of – I didn't give it more than a second – I didn't give it a second thought at all because going forward, I just assumed Colin Sexton would be our, our starting point guard. But hearing that a lot of guys in the organization don't think of him to be our point guard going forward, um, then that definitely opens the door for that. Um, if the Cavs do decide that uh, Sexton will move to the two guard, then it makes sense. Uh, but if, he, if they want to develop him as a point guard, obviously it doesn't. I wrote down a couple reasons why I would and wouldn't be okay with this uh, pairing to start, why I would be okay. Morant has such a unique skill set that he can, I think he can fit in with almost any group of players and be an impact player right away. His ability to create for others is something that this team does not have a lot of. At this point, Delhi is really the only real consistent creator in terms of setting up others. Um Jetty and Colin, or not Colin Sexton, Kevin Love can do it here and there, but not on a consistent basis, you know, off the dribble and orchestrating the offense. He has a lot of defensive potential. He's insanely quick side to side and has a lot of straight line speed. He has long arms that can get in the passing lanes. He has kind of a George Hill build where he's average height, but has really long arms. Um, He's an absolute offensive juggernaut, man. The only real weakness, like I said, is the consistency from three. And he, like he can be a little careless with the ball at times. Uh, he has the potential to be one of the point gu- best point guards in this league, 100%. He has, he's that good and has that much potential, I think, where he can be a top five point guard in this league one day. The, possibil- or the possibility of this pairing is definitely growing on me, I will say. But to hop into the reasons why I'm not super confident in this pairing, uh, first of all, I think is the biggest one is size. Sexton would play the two guard, and he'd be quite undersized. I know um, the two guard spot is definitely shrinking, and just um, players in general is outside of the five spot are getting smaller, and you know more emphasis being put on quickness and shooting and stuff like that. Uh, Sexton's, like I said, is only six two, and that can lead to defensive problems, especially if the opposing team has a bigger guard, bigger, stronger guard, that can uh, back down one of the two guys. 
out of the backcourt of Morant and Sexton would be a liability shooting from three. Sexton's percentage is better than expected, but there still isn't a lot of volume. The good percentage has to be taken with a grain of salt because it's. I think he's shooting 2.9 threes per game, which isn't, you know, if he was shooting five threes a game and he was shooting 40% or something like that, I think, what did I say, 39.2%, then it would be a lot more encouraging, but it's under three threes a game. So we do have to um, take that into account, and Morant isn't a knockdown shooter at all. Spacing could be a potential problem, which is something this team already does struggle with, as we all know. The biggest concern I do have, and this is what initially turned me off to the idea, is I don't know if you can have your two potential best players be your guards and be a serious title contender. We've seen it with two leagues, two teams in the league currently in Portland and Washington. At best, they're good or you know cute playoff teams that max out at you know the second round. The formula has not been super successful in the past. Teams that are solid in the regular season but are not considered serious threats come postseason time. Um, to be fair, that would be a really nice spot for the Cavs without LeBron because they haven't been there in the Dan Gilbert era before. They haven't even made the playoffs, so I think that would just be a huge step. It would be a huge accomplishment for this team to make the playoffs minus LeBron James. And to be completely honest, when it comes to this draft class, I'm not super picky when it comes to the top. Um, if we get one of the top four guys, I'm, I'd be really happy between Zion, R.J. Barrett, John Morant, or Cameron Reddish. Um, Cam Reddish, he kind of disappears a little bit too much for me, but I really do like his skill set. Yeah, all those players are super talented, and I'd be happy if any of them trotted out in a Cavaliers uniform to start next season. So that will wrap it up for today's episode. I know this was kind of a longer one, so if you made it to this point, thank you so much for listening. I love all you guys that listen. Um, It really motivates me to keep uh, pumping these out. And you can find me on Twitter, my personal account, at James underscore Lockery7. Or you can follow the podcast on Twitter at underscore Everything Cavs. Super active on there. If you interact with me, I'll interact back. Um, Again, this podcast was a part of Pulse Podcast Network. And I will catch you guys later.